The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you from Salem, New Hampshire. And first and foremost, we're going to send our thoughts to Florida. They got a lot going on today. Category four heading in. A lot of things going on down there in Florida. A lot of bad gas. Yeah, gas, diesel, and unleaded. There's a lot of things happening in the world. All right, today we are going to talk about... I was the only one with bad gas. Stop it. (laughs) Today we are going to talk about safety protocols for aggression cases. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. (laughs) All right, my quirky tip of the day is dogs who are that, if you want to call dogs a thing rather than a person, uh, dogs that hate walking around in a muzzle, my new go-to for this is teach them to walk around in a gentle leader, and then you put the gentle leader through the muzzle, and now they're walking with the gentle leader, and the muzzle goes over it. So if you have a dog who absolutely cannot stand, you know, they will accept the muzzle as far as like being examined, but they will not take any paces forward or they don't do anything besides just freeze up or try to tear it off their bodies, try to get the dog accustomed to the gentle leader, work the gentle leader and the muzzle combo. That has been working well for me. Today, what are you going to say? I just want to add to that. Before you you get to that step, another little trick you can use if you have a dog that wants to paw at that muzzle and I realize that you should take your time and introduce it in a positive way and all of these steps that you're taking, but we have found that putting a cone in addition to the muzzle well, not all, they cannot now scoop that and get their paws and their toes hooked in the muzzle trying to get it off because the because the uh, cone is preventing it's preventing that. that. So yeah, just jumping, a few steps. You're jumping forward, but it's a good tip. It's no, one it of our is. Big it, aggression it works. Tips. I mean, if you have your own dog and you want to introduce a muzzle over you know a period of weeks and months, that's a total other issue. But if you have to get something done with the dog, these are some ways of moving things along fairly quickly. Yeah. Today is our 199th episode. Next week is 200. We're super excited. We've been at this for four years now. It's crazy. Um, And this topic came up because there's kind of a viral post going around on Facebook about a vet who was very severely um, mauled by one of the client dogs. And there's just a a lot of comments and shares with these type of posts and a lot of people weighing in. And at the end of the day, it's not worth placing blame and it's not worth pointing out what could have gone better and, you know, all this stuff. Let's give people some tips on how to deal with these types of situations. And Scott and I are quite well versed in dealing with dogs that aren't just showing displays of aggression and they actually want to come after us and injure us. And we've worked through this a lot together. And at least within the four years you've seen us and pretty much throughout our whole careers, we haven't been losing fingers. We haven't had, you know, super serious bites that need stitches and everything else. That is not excluding us from having the potential of that happening. Of course, anyone has the potential to endure a, you know, severe dog bite, but we do have some different methods and protocols that we use. And we wanted to share that with the world today, whether you're a daycare worker, a veterinary worker, a trainer, anything else, this is important to have some tools at your disposal. So when you mentioned the muzzle and the cone, that is a huge one. And that is the only thing that I thought of when I was reading this Facebook post by this vet. The dog happened to get the muzzle off when they were going to give her an injection of an anti-anxiety medication. And that's when it turned and went after the vet and like 
techs had to get standing up on picnic tables. It was a whole to do. And the, the vet literally had to be rushed to the hospital. She was bleeding out. She is doing okay. Luckily it was just her arm, but it was a huge to do. So that was my first thought. And the only thing that I would have shared if I shared it on Facebook, if you have a dog that's super, super touchy, as soon as you get that muzzle on, try to get a cone on in addition to the muzzle. So if they go to take that muzzle off, then at least they can't do that that easily. And I really hate these um, cones. That's the Kong cone. I prefer the cones that you can get at the vet where you know, weaves another piece of plastic through and they tie on top, but I just happen to have the cone well, cone to bring The on. nice thing about this is that you can actually get it on without putting yeah, it over the it, dog's head. Yeah, so quickly. if they have some of these dogs, you can't get a muzzle on because when they see something in front of them, they've already got reps of fighting about that issue. And this cone is the same thing. You're trying to get the nose in and, and if they're aggressive, it's going to be a difficult thing, but... Yeah, if you can scoop this underneath their chin and boom, it's on. Yeah. So that's and the nice even, thing about the Velcro. And even, we'll jump ahead a little bit more. So can you hold the pig like it's a dog? I sure can. If you're going to be doing things like this where you're, you know, trying to approach the dog or get equipment on the dog, I would always recommend having two people. So Scott is normally, you know, handling the leash and I'm doing the equipment, but always have a spotter there, someone who's familiar with using, you know, different techniques and ways to restrain dogs and, and everything else. the spotter is controlling the dog's head. Yes, that's completely. That's the primary purpose so of the spotter. You're going to be coming from behind, like Scott said, and the dog's head is there. Same thing with a flat collar. Many dogs do have an issue with something going over their you know, neck, their head, even if it's not a big cone. They don't like that pressure as you're heading towards their head. So the spotter's here. You're going to clip the collar. You're coming from behind, go underneath quick, and then clip. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff where Scott's holding the dog, the dog's facing away, and I'm just coming and scooping and dealing as quickly as I can. A lot of people would say, well, how do I get the collar on? How does the spotter control the dog? And what we would do is make a slip the leash through the handle and lasso the dog. So that's the temporary uh, restraint and control is that I have the leash, but it's slipped through the handle. So it's on the dog like that so that we can get the collar on so that we can then transfer the leash to the collar. Now we have a dog on a collar yeah. and a leash and collar. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like <clears throat> and, you do want to approach it quickly and with expediency. What were you going to say? Well, I just wouldn't use a flat collar. I always would use some type of martingale. So it's loose. And yet if they pull, they can't back out of it. They can't slip out of it. Yeah. A lot of those just I don't, don't want clip. it to be you gotta so have, tight. You got to have a clip there somehow. And you can use, I have a plastic pinch on the ground, whatever you're putting on the dog. But when you're going, you want to go quick. You want to try to get it done quickly, but you're not rushing. It doesn't have to be the first attempt. You want the dog to feel calm. You want everything to go as smoothly as possible. And it may take a few reps. That's definitely the case. Scott mentioned not having the dog not on leash. Huge one. Very important. Very good thought. Rule of thumb here. So either you have a slip lead or, you know, you noose the leash through the back end of the um, handle, like Scott was saying, and then you're putting another piece of equipment on. The dog is never loose without equipment where you can't handle them in some way, shape, or form and actually have them on a leash and hold them away from you if you're, they're going to come after you. I think the vet, if I read the article correctly, they had the dog in the yard to go potty, the dog was off leash. No, it was on a long line. Oh, it was a long line, was it? Yeah. And, you know, regardless of how these things happened or why they happened or anything else, we just want to give people tools for future setups because we have gone through this in various situations time and time again the last decade together. Scott's been doing it another decade without me. And dogs aren't nice. There are some dogs that are really out there to want to hurt you. So this is important. 
Um, I do want to touch on also with the muzzle since we're on this talk. I have a bunch of Baskervilles up here. We personally like the Baskervilles. We did a whole muzzle podcast if you want to look at some other options for muzzles. I do find a lot of use in this loop on the Baskerville. So if you're going to put the Baskerville muzzle on a dog, I would recommend having some sort of collar as well that can clip on the dog's neck. It's not that it's, there's no way that the dog can get it off, but that extra safety point does seem to help keep the muzzles on. And of course the cone on top of all of this is another good protocol just to make sure you're safe and the dog can't get that muzzle off and isn't coming after you. But I have found a lot of benefit with having a flat collar on attached in the back. So I just want to say that as an aside. And if you have a dog that is primarily in a harness and the dog does have some aggression issues, maybe not with you or anyone in the family, but you have to go to the vet have a collar on the dog. That's the one time I would, if you're going to hand the dog off to a tech, have the leash on the dog's neck just in case they need to control that head. Because if it's in a harness, there's a lot of worm wiggle room there for that dog to turn around and nail someone in the leg or do something silly. Yeah. And a lot of the vets will have like a slip lead that you put over the dog. And, you know, that can be sometimes a little traumatizing having to go over the neck and it gets really tight. So already have the equipment where there's a flat collar, the leash is on it, and you can hand the dog off safely. One thing that we have, we don't use them all the time, but we have gloves. We wore them for the thumbnail episode. These are just like leather gardening gloves. Is that what they are? Just gardening gloves. Work gloves or gardening gloves. Construction Um, gloves, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So these obviously aren't going to protect you from a very serious dog bite. However, they are going to save your skin, you know, depending on the level of aggression and everything else. I like these because I have a lot of dexterity with these. So this may be something that, you know, if we have a dog that we're really unsure about and Scott's spotting for me and I'm going to put equipment on, maybe I'll have these gloves on in addition to, you know, coming from behind and doing all these other protocols that we talk about. Uh, we I, also I want to mention something about those gloves. It took a little bit of time to find them, but uh, it's not impossible to find them. But most gloves for gardening and construction have leather palms, but fabric on top because it's just cheaper to manufacture them and you don't need leather on top. But you want to make sure that you have leather on the backside of the hand, especially because that's where the teeth are going to go through the top of your hand. So you want to make sure there's some leather protection there. I originally got these. Someone told me to get these. Um, oh, I actually bought them off a dog training, some dog equipment website, and, and these were for aggressive dogs. All they are is fireplace yeah. gloves. They have zero tex- uh, dexterity. I've never worn them with a dog because I can't do anything with these things are so thick. Yeah. What I do like is the wrist up protection on the arm, but it would be better just to cut them off and just have you know, like a gauntlet for your forearms. And then uh, like the cat, I've seen cat gloves for vets that go right up to your elbow and they're just real thin, but they're, they're puncture proof. And it's because cats, when they scratch, it gets all kinds of infections that you don't want to get. So uh, it's nice to have some forearm or some type of gauntlet protection because when you, if you have to take a dog by the collar and they whip around, they're going to bite you right on the wrist, you know, if they want to bite. Yeah. As far as the more serious dogs go, the dogs that really look nasty, we actually, I wore these at an eval, I don't know, a couple months ago, we saw this Jack Russell who was really aggressive and didn't want to be handled at all. Um, they are going to protect you a lot more than those leather gardening gloves. But as Scott mentioned, the dexterity completely stinks. Like I can barely clip and unclip a flat collar with that. So really, if I'm doing anything with these, I'm just more evaluating bite pressure and the 
terrier that we saw that was aggressive. I mean, I felt some real good bite pressure through these gloves, and this is pretty good protection. So it's a good way to evaluate how serious the dog is as it's coming at you. See if they really are going to bite, because most dogs have some bite inhibition. They'll put their teeth on you, but they don't want to bite. They're trying to get you to back away, and they're not just latching on and really thrashing you. And that's a good way to, you know, have some protection rather than find out the hard way. Yeah. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about protocols for safety and aggression. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. Okay, our show and tell is almost over, and then we're just going to talk about varying protocols within training. Scott makes these tethers. Uh, we get everything at Home Depot. This is like a steel-coated yeah, or plastic-coated plastic steel cable. Steel cable. Uh, these clips, and then these ferrules. They're like three sixteenth ferrules. We just bought um, enough for five tethers the other day at Home Depot, and it was seventy-five bucks. So it's not necessarily you know the cheapest setup, but if you're going to make them in bulk, and we give these to all of our clients for the bad exercise specifically. These are a really nice thing for aggression cases. A lot of people, you know, want to have the dog hooked up in some way, shape or form, especially at a vet's office. If they're going to take a dog out of the crate, they're not super sure if the dog's going to come at them or not, but the dogs can chew through the leash. Not only can they chew through the leash and they're loose, but then there's the risk of obstruction and everything else. It's not that a dog cannot chew through this plastic, but there's still a cable on the other side. So we have used these um, frequently the first few days we've gotten a dog in, flat collar, dog supervised with insight. And so the dog can't like wrap its leg around and, you know, lose circulation in its leg or something else, but coming out of the crate. So the dog is automatically hooked up. So as we go to take the dog out, it's already on some sort of equipment and then we can put it on a leash or a slip lead or, you know, clip a collar behind and have it on another setup. But these have been a game changer and they've kept us safe more often than anything else probably on this table, I would say. Yeah. And that's not, you know, Putting a dog on a tether in a crate is something where you're constantly keeping an eye on the dog, yeah, making sure they're safe. We have cameras on them, you know, and and quite often when we have a dog that we have to deal with that way, within a day or two, they're no longer doing that. They yeah. just need to learn that we're not going to kill them and, you know, build up a little bit of trust there. And then a lot of these protocols, even if they're biters we can loosen up with certain protocols. Yeah, you know? and as an aside, if you are using a method like this, the dog is never on a collar that can compress on their neck. No martingale, nothing like that. It's always a flat collar that isn't going to be creating more tension if the dog goes to pull. So we did have a snare pole at some point. I don't know if we donated it or not. Um, when, I don't know why. Our, we, why we did we get it? You know, I don't know. We had probably one dog scared us. One yeah. dog was like, holy shit, we, yeah. we should have this in case we need it. <laughs> and, and we you know, used the other it thing once. Was we used we had it one employees. time. Yeah. We had employees, and so I had this in the room with all the dogs. I had this snare pole behind the behind the uh, door, door, yeah. just in case something happened. Got shaky, and yeah. And they needed to somehow secure this dog. We bought it when we got our facility. Never needed it. We used it think, one time. We used it one we, time with an aggressive dog in the yard. I think we used it because we had it. It was like, oh, well, I, I, yeah. Let's try the snare pole because <laughs> yeah. yeah. we've never used it since. We've yeah. had many aggressive dogs, and it's just. 
You know, that's more, I think, for, you know, animal control where they have some dog. They're yeah, just, it uh, wouldn't be our first go-to, but if you do have a dog that you're super unsure of, maybe it was tied out in the yard, you can't approach the dog, that is a way to at least secure the dog and then keep the dog, you know, max X amount of feet away from you and everything else. So not everyone's going to need that, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. If you have super strong aggression, that is something to consider. And I do think we've donated ours now. Yeah, I and, I, find and it. I do think that, um, you know, when things have got to that point, you, you dropped a protocol somewhere to get to that point where you have a loose dog in the yard and you're getting a snare pull to get them back. That's a mistake you've made up to that point because we've like, if we have dogs that don't like us to approach them and we put them out in the yard to go potty, cause we've had several like this over the years, we'll put them on a tether, a run of something so that we don't go to them. We go and grab the end of the leash and then we walk down the leash to get to them and create this, you know, no conflict, but we have the dog now because if you need to go put a leash on them and they back up, if they're in a corner, now we're making conflict. Yeah. It can be a big issue. And ideally, you're just w- leash walking a dog like that. You're not yeah. having the dog where you have to approach it. And you're just you're switching them from the, from the long line to the leash. Yep. And they're always Back leashed. and forth, forth and back. Yeah. So we talked about the crate a little bit in relation to the tether. And the crate is a really important thing to focus on, whether you're in a rescue and you have some sort of a kennel set up or you're actually needing to put a dog into a crate. The crate seems to be what triggers a lot of aggression, whether it's going into the crate and turning around and resource guarding or getting the dog out of the crate. The dog wants to rush you. One technique I have used pretty successfully, and I wanted to give you guys this piece of advice, is the wire crates that have the side door and the front door. So the dogs that like you definitely aren't going to be able to just, you know, hold by the collar and hold under the belly and put in a crate. You can't get that close to them. They're just going to be, it's going to be way too much conflict and they're not going to actually want to go into the crate. I have let these dogs just walk through. So there's side door, front door. The dog just walks through the crate, comes out, walks through the crate, comes out, walks through the crate, comes out. If the dog will eat, great, even better. Walks through the crate, gets a cookie, walks in the crate, gets a cookie. Eventually that front door gets closed. They walk in the side door, they're in their crate. So that's a really good way to kind of just like take away a lot of the conflict that you're seeing and you know you're not shoving the dog into the crate and creating all this adversity the dog's just feeling like comfortable getting in and out comfortable getting in and out and I'll do that a few sessions it's not like you know oh it just happens once and then the dog goes in the crate but the dog feels more in control they feel like they have an out and that has minimalized a lot of BS for me that's something I've used a lot over the years a lot of positive reinforcement there. Yes. <laughs> well, it, yes. If the dog will eat, that's 100% our first go-to. You have yep. an aggression case, put the muzzle on, feed a cookie. A lot of these dogs that are so heightened with aggression and are just in like kill mode completely, they're not in the headspace to be eating. If a dog will eat every time you possibly can, you touch the leash near the collar, give a cookie. You walk a few steps, give a cookie. Lure them in and pepper them with cookies all day long if they will eat. That's 100% our first go-to. You know, I had a dog last night, an eval. The dog was looked super aggressive on the leash. I was at the person's house outside in the driveway. So I'm sure a fair amount of that was territorial aggression. And I said, does this happen you know, mainly at the house or anywhere you go? And they said, oh, it happens out in public. We were at the beach. The dog's blowing up at people, just trying to keep everyone away from him. And I said, okay, um, you know, I got within, say, four feet of the dog, and I just threw a handful of treats on the ground. And he started going going for the treats. I knew as soon as he started eating the treats, we weren't going to have a problem. And I, while he's eating treats, I said, give me the leash. I took the leash, and I told him, go away. And I start moving this dog around. And he was all spooked about me. But I continued to put a few more treats on the ground. And then, you know, within moments, he's eating treats out of my hand. 
and everything's smoothly transitioning, you know? Yeah. The food is a good one if you can use if it. They'll, if they'll eat. Yeah. yeah. Scott has a lot of protocols and he doesn't even really consciously realize that he uses these protocols because he's just done this so frequently. But I do want to talk about what you do with a super aggressive dog and a super fearful dog as far as the handoff goes. Because one thing, the dog daddy is getting a ton of flack right now. And I'm not saying that we condone his methods. We made it a quirky tip a few months ago to unsubscribe and not promote those types of things. One thing I cannot stand is when he's taking these dogs from the owner and like dragging them four to five feet away from the owner. You know, you're having a huge cortisol spike there. The dog is probably blowing its anal glands. There's a lot of conflict there that isn't necessarily needing to happen. So explain what you do in those situations as far as like how the owner is walking and then you just take the leash and how it's a little bit more seamless. Well, I mean, what the dog daddy is doing is the same thing I'm doing. He's just more aggressive and he's pulling the dog away from the security of the owner or whatever kind of sick relationship well, the dog has. You're, you're seamlessly taking the dog from the owner, though, yes, as they're moving. but I mean, he, we need to get the dog away from the owner. That's yeah. the first step. Because quite often, there may be protective of the owner. There's some kind of relationship there where the dog feels a need to... Uh, either they're more insecure with the owner or whatever's going on there. You need to get them away. So, I mean, I typically would tell people, choke up on the leash so that they only have maybe two to two and a half feet of leash, straight out, straight arm, and I will grab the leash right below their hand. So the dog, if the dog wanted to come and try and lunge at me, I can keep them off me. And then I tell the people to go retreat, go away. Because quite often, as soon as they get away from the owner, they become more neutral. They're still nervous and scared, but they're neutral. They're not lunging and aggressive. It's not always the case. I had an American bulldog that I did the same thing. The lady had the dog in a muzzle because of aggression. And that dog muzzle punched me six or seven times and I'm holding this like hundred pound dog trying to hold this dog off me and it was it was not pleasant you know I mean I didn't get hurt but I mean that's, that's when he opted his gym the routine. dog was powerful and, so uh, not happy if the owner can walk the dog though this is another thing you do and I've seen you do quite frequently the dog now is you know this is the dog this is the owner they're walking along and scott will be on the outside of the owner and then he'll just step in and take the leash from the owner that has that has minimalized a lot of conflict in those situations well the nice thing about that when you're walking alongside the owner walking down the street the dog is getting used to you being there whether they like it or not the owner is with the dog you're not right on top of the dog the dog's on the other side of the owner and then when the dog is just settling into a little bit of a walk there which doesn't take too long then i'll say just hand me the leash and then you fade back. And now I continue walking with the dog. And then the owner isn't in the middle anymore. And then we start to work a little bit. Yeah. And for that the dogs go that are going to be so reactive that, you know, see someone within four to five feet of the owner, that isn't an option. Like Scott said, he'll have the owner just choke up on the leash and walk in and take the dog. But he's not dragging the dog away. And the dogs that can walk at all, it just, it's very seamless. The dogs hardly know that it's happened. Oh my gosh, now this guy's holding the leash. Maybe they want to react. Maybe they want to come after him because he's a stranger <clears> at first, <throat> but it's just an easy transition. So that was be a, mindful of that. That was a Adrian Santano technique oh, i picked it? up from him yeah said, it, it was, he, it's worked great well, yeah i worked with adrian for years and he he always used to say well, no matter how the worst the aggression was he say, oh, i love this <laughs> I, I know he was talking himself into it but he's like oh i love aggressive dogs let's go <laughs> and he never was harsh with the dogs he always made uh was just a great 
relationship right away. And I just picked up a lot of these techniques watching him. Yeah. And probably when you're working with Adrian over a decade ago, dogs could walk on a leash easier. And it isn't every dog that can do this, but the probably three dozen times I've seen it happen, it's gone really well, whether it's been a very aggressive dog or a very fearful dog. All right. If you have aggression at all with the dog, I don't know if you think there's resource guarding. If there's not, it doesn't matter. Do not be reaching in to take out bowls. That first three to five days, have a PVC pipe, have something else that will reach in there and remove a bowl or have the dog out, have someone, you know, babysitting the dog, holding the dog while you're taking things out. Do not be at at any point in time going into crates or kennels when we're talking about aggression. Yes, never. Head first, another great thing to mention. If you need to do any sort of handling or anything else, I always have my hand in between the dog's face and whatever I'm doing, the paw, whatever else. Yes, the dog can turn and get me on the arm. Yes, the dog may be able to turn and get my leg. It is very important to protect your face, protect your neck, to protect all these arteries. This is very important. So be mindful of your face at all times when you're dealing with aggression cases. And don't get complacent. Don't think, oh, well, this dog's been good for five to seven days. They have it in them. They've had success with these methods before, using their teeth, using their mouth, keeping people away. Be very mindful of what body parts are where. And if you don't need a body part in there, use a PVC stick. Very important. Let's talk about using a divider. So if you have a really, really aggressive dog and you have a park and a chain link fence, it's one method could be that, you know, if you can reach over this four foot fence with a leash, the dog now is on the other side of the fence. There's there's a divider in between. You can use clear coroplast. There's something that's actually physically in between you and the dog, and you're creating this kind of relationship. You're de-escalating the situation, if you will, while the dog can calm down and get its yayas out. Many dogs just have a lot of show. You know, they're just... Rah, 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 rah. And then once they have this big display, nothing's happened. You haven't backed away. It all de-escalates quickly. But using a divider is another very thorough method. And you can even have a setup like this in your facility where there is a way that the dog can walk on one side of a divider. You can be on the other side of the divider. You can be safe. And if the dog starts to want to come after you, it's going after a piece of equipment. It's not actually going after your leg. Yeah. I mean, you can feed a dog through a chain link fence too. That's yeah. I've, I've, and it's also a good way for, um, if you have a dog with some dog aggression to start closing that gap between the reactive dog and the neutral dog keeping your dog safe or the neutral dog safe in case the other dog all of a sudden decided to just try and lunge out. There's a chain link fence between the two, Yeah, you know, just to keep things safe. Yeah. And you still have the visual, you're still dealing with it. Yeah. They're still seeing the dog right there, but it's not a threat to them and they can't do anything to the other dog. Yeah. Obviously a six foot fence, chain link, it's going to be too tall for most people with height and everything else, but find a solution that works for you. Set one up in your dog yard, set one up in your facility, have a solution there. If you're working with aggressive dogs, so you can keep things safe and deescalate things quickly. One time, one thing that some dogs will do is they like go to flip over alligator roll and then they want to come after you, you know, while they're on their back. So a good method for that. And we've mentioned it before in other podcasts dealing with other topics is you still have the head, the dog's controlled in the front, but then you can just stabilize them underneath their bellies. You're not holding them. You're not lifting them off the ground, but they're stabilized now. So they have to remain standing. Their head has to remain there. Again, you're not rushing, but we're talking about something. Maybe you have to take the dog's temperature for some reason. Maybe you have to look at, you know, the rear hawk. Maybe something's going on. This is a great way to prevent a dog from spinning around, flipping around, and then coming after you from its back. So we have used that method quite often with just, you know, gently keeping a dog on its feet, on all four feet, while still controlling the head like we talked about early on. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
we've covered a lot of the bases here. I think uh, if you have a dog in your home that is biting you and biting um, kids or company that's coming, I mean, you need to start implementing some protocols, obviously. And um, and you're, it is your responsibility if your dog is aggressive at the vet or is aggressive at the groomer or something else to keep these professionals safe. It is your due diligence as the owner to have your dog conditioned to the muzzle. Maybe you're spending the night, you know, nearby at the vet's office so the dog has to stay overnight so you can come and help if need be. If you have a kennel type of setup and you are taking these types of dogs just have the owner come back, have the owner come back and remove the dog themselves. Like the owner is now a part of this. You, you have no problem about anyone seeing your setup. The owner's taking the dog out. The owner is even putting the dog in, try to get the dog. So it's not stressed out as much as possible because these little transitions are where it pops up. And as one last aside, I will say, if you have someone who you have access to within an hour of you who has a bite suit, it's important to have this person on call. Scott has a bite suit. We've only used it two or three times in our careers. It seems totally extreme. I'm not saying go out and buy a $1,500 bite suit for these types of dogs, but at least someone who's capable of you know, working really aggressive dogs now only has their hands exposed and their face exposed and their shoes exposed. And if the dog is really going to come after them, at least there's an option. So if you do have have dogs that are like full on Cujo's, it is nice to know someone that you can say, Hey, can, can you come over here? I need help with this extreme situation. And I would also say as far as dealing with aggression. And since we mentioned the dog daddy size does matter. It's not that, you know, all dogs over hundred pounds that show any displays of aggression should be euthanized, but they're there may be a higher propensity for those dogs because when we're talking about not only training a dog, but then muscling a dog and a dog's power and everything else. If you have a dog that's over a hundred pounds and has full on human aggression, like that bulldog Scott was talking about, that dog is not coming in our house. Sometimes that dog doesn't get an option for even private classes. Like there is a line that needs to be drawn also with who can handle the dog. How can we keep the public safe? How can we keep professionals safe? And what is really the end goal here? Because some dogs, it is way too much maintenance to keep 120 to 150 plus pound dog safe and and deal with them especially if they're biting the owners at home yeah they're just a, a danger to society and they, yeah. they shouldn't exist huge liability yeah yeah and of course you know we could get into a discussion about triggers and what triggers the dogs and it's good to know what these triggers are so that you if you're going to be from a training perspective dealing with those triggers everybody is safe but if you just want to move the dog around, you want to avoid certain triggers because yeah. you don't want to have the dog blow up or come and bite someone. And, you know, we've been very fortunate that we have, neither one of us have had any real severe bites. And um, a little bit of that is luck too. I mean, we're very careful, but I've seen very experienced trainers get bit badly. Things can happen. So you do want to be careful and uh, do everything you can to prepare for worst case scenario, but go in with confidence and planning on the best. We're not yeah. going to have any problem here. And I think part of the reason I don't have a lot of trouble with many of the dogs is because I do feel pretty confident that I'm going to win this dog over when I go and meet a dog I don't know. I'm not going, I'm not tr over trying to get the dog to like me. I just know that I'm, I'm going to be neutral. I'm not going to make a lot of conflict with this dog. And worst case scenario, I mean, we had a a, uh, that German shepherd that came in, this working dog. It was yeah. a working police dog washout that someone adopted online. It was very dangerous. And I took the, they brought the dog to me. I was in Lowell because the dog was blowing up at people and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I took him and I started working with him, making him sit, doing some basic stuff. And he started looking at me like, like he was just, it was building. Like he was getting ready to just friggin' nail me, you know? 
So I told him to sit, and I told the owner, I said, come on over, take the leash, and go, go over there, because I could see the dog was getting, he was just starting to bubble up with some aggression. And no sooner did he have the dog, and he was 15 feet away, all of a sudden the dog was just like, we were sitting at the table, he started to lunge over the my desk. I said, take him, put him in the car. And they hadn't had the dog that long, they were way in over their head with this dog. And I told him to bring the dog to someone that, that, trains and sells police dogs for an evaluation. That guy said, I can't touch this dog. And they wound up taking the dog to be put down. And the dog got loose at the place and they had to call animal control and evacuate the building. It was a big to-do. Yeah. It was a nightmare. Yeah. But a lot of that too is Scott's dog sense. He has a lot of experience in this. And another thing I do want to point out is he's not really... Um, I, I don't, he's not exuding fear. I guess I'm going to say that. So if a dog goes to come after him, he's not now stressing about that, overthinking that, thinking, oh my gosh, and letting that build up inside of him. Cause the dog senses that as well. He's still approaching the situation with the same amount of confidence. And if you do have fear around these aggressive dogs, I would highly recommend you start referring these cases out because the more neutral you are, the more confident you are, the more that you're just showing the dog the path and not overreacting. If the dog does come to muzzle punch you or does come to go after your leg and you're just quick de-escalating that situation. You keep moving forward. You're not reacting and changing course because of how the dog acted. The quicker everything subsides. So a lot of this is what you're bringing to the table as well. And even when we're dealing with these cases together, you know, I'm putting equipment on dogs. I'm concerned about dogs. Scott, I trust Scott. I know that he can spot me. I know that he can handle the dog. I know that he has control of the dog, but I'm not approaching this, you know, nervous and shaking and my heart pounding and everything else. So the, the energy you're bringing to the situation does matter. And I'm not saying that every vet tech and every veterinarian and every daycare employee is going to be well-versed in that. But if you're a trainer and you're taking these dogs on to help them, especially with these severe aggression cases, you need to be able to bring a certain level of competence to the table. So if that isn't something that you feel like maybe your confidence has been shaken, especially with a certain breed or because of X amount of situations, start finding some ethical and competent trainers to refer out to. That would be our go-to. So I hope we helped you guys a little bit. I hope that this was some new stuff that maybe you haven't considered or heard of before. Everybody has their own little tidbits. If there's something huge we Miss that you think, oh my gosh, like they totally should have touched on this. Email us at studio at the quirky dog.com and we will bring this up in future podcasts because it's important. Dogs are getting more aggressive and it's hard to keep people safe out there. And our main priority is keeping everyone safe. All right. This is our last episode in the hundreds. Next week is 200. Let's high five it. We'll see you then. We can't wait. It's going to be a big party. And in the meantime, keep, keep it, it quirky. quirky. Bye, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.